Let us pray. Father God, already we have thought in our service about the importance of looking to you for the direction for our life. Lord, in our heart of hearts, many of us know that that's what we want. We want to live life in your way, in the ways in which you have called us to live. And Lord, we thank you that so much of of what we need for living, you've shown us very clearly in your word. And we pray that you would be with us just now as we spend a few moments gathered around your word. Lord, show us how to live and give us the courage then to go in the way that you show us. Amen. Here at Kirkpatrick Memorial, we're learning to be followers of Jesus Christ. We want to learn how to live every single part of our lives in the way that Jesus has called us to live. And for the last two Sunday mornings, we've been looking at one specific area and one crucial area of life, and that is family. We're learning together what God's Word teaches about family and how disciples of Jesus Christ might live in the light of these things that we learn. Let me remind you very quickly of some of the ground we have covered so far in our series. In the first week, we noticed that for disciples of Jesus Christ, the community of God's people is our first family. Although Jesus consistently supports and encourages the life of the biological family, he displaces it at the very center of human life. He says, no, there's a more important family, a more important commitment that each human being can and ought to have, and that is finding their place in the overarching family, the family of God. The second week, we noticed one of the implications of that pretty radical idea and it was the implications for single people. We took a moment in our service to recognize the, the heartache that often goes with being single. But we recognized as well Jesus' own life and his teaching on the subject. Jesus, we noticed, was a single man. And we noticed that Jesus and Paul both agreed that singleness was not only allowable, but sometimes is preferable to marriage for those in the kingdom of God because of the opportunities for service that it leaves open to them. Last week, you'll know if you were here with us that we thought about marriage and we thought that despite changes in our culture where commitment is not what it once was, despite all of that, Christian marriage remains covenantal. It remains a, an unqualified no reservations, commitment of two people to one another. Whenever Christians set out to be married, they still mean the same by that as they always did. And that is an unconditional promise to be with one another. They make that promise and they mean it. If you remember last week, we noticed how that Christian view of marriage is rooted in the character of God. 
Christians long to be faithful in their marriages because they long to be like God, our faithful God. And and we ended up saying actually that faithfulness is a quality for all disciples of Jesus Christ, married or not. In a sense, marriage is just one of the spheres where God's people live out the the faithfulness that that God is, is nurturing in us. I think this has been a a pretty challenging series, probably more challenging than I was anticipating when I started to work on it and to think about it, but I hope that's okay with you. It raised a question in my mind. For a lot of us, this stuff that we've been learning has has challenged some of our our long-held notions, our dearest ideas. What do you do when that happens? What do you do when God's Word challenges some of your most deeply held uh, convictions and habits of being? Are we people who actually, when you scratch beneath the surface, although we listen to sermons and and read books and and read God's Word, are we only ever going to God's Word for our own worldview to be validated to us? Is that what we do? We, We find a community of people who say roughly the same things that we say. We join in with them, and it's a very cozy arrangement. Or are we willing to be people who come to God's Word with open ears, open hearts, and open lives? Ready to say, well, if I learn something new, even if it's quite fundamental and substantial, something new about how I ought to live, my desire to walk with God and to follow in the ways of Jesus is so strong that I will do that that I'll set about making those changes, reconsidering my commitments, whatever they are. I I long for that way of reading and hearing God's word, where, where my life is open for change because of what God teaches. This morning, we're going to look at one last aspect of family life, and In a sense, it's slightly different than family. We're going to look at the location in which family life takes place, and that is the home. So whether you're single or married, whether you've got children or not, parents, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, each one of us is a home, some place where we belong. Now, they say that an Englishman's home is his castle. And if you think about that for a moment and what is meant by that, the same is true actually for Irish people and and for, for many, many people in the world. Our home is the place that we retreat to when the day's battle's done. It's the place that of security and of safety. It's a place where we come out of the public sphere and enjoy some some privacy. Now, we're so used to that view of the world as our our home, as our castle, that we can't really imagine life any other way. That's what home is for us. But it only takes a very, very cursory glance at at history to see that that's not always the way in which homes have been. Up until the Industrial Revolution, that was not at all the view of home. Most of the people who lived in the world had a completely different understanding of home and the family. If you think, for example, of of Bible times, uh, of the the Hebrew and the Jewish 
sorry, the Hebrew and the Roman culture of the times. In both cases, they didn't have this distinction between my private life in my home and public life out here. Everything that was private was public and that was public was private. Those two worlds just merged in together. So the herds that you looked after that were your business, well, they lived in the house with you. You, you, didn't, you didn't commute to work. You got up in the morning and looked after the cows that were lying under your bed. Um, your, your business was transacted in your homes, so your household was, was bustling with, with traders coming and buying, buying and selling their stuff. You know, Tesco came to you in those days. You didn't have to, to jump in the car and drive to it. Even poets and philosophers, uh, they, they would have moved through communities and through homes and they depended on, on households for their livelihood. So this was the kind of domestic context. Homes were much, much more open. And it was in this context that the early church flourished. Christians of the New Testament, if you think about what you know of them, just very, very quickly, they worshipped together in their homes. They welcomed preachers and missionaries into their homes. They did their evangelism in the households in which they worked. They helped the poor through their homes. They, they formulated their political views uh, all in their homes. So for these early Christians, their homes were not at all like ours. It wasn't a place that you retreated to from public life, but it was very much part of a, an open community and, and public way of living. Now, it's one thing to know that. What do we do about it? I'm not suggesting for one moment that we, we should go about trying to recreate those kind of conditions here in 21st Belfast, but I'm simply making a point, and I think it's an important one, that the way in which we think of home, this, this preserve for our, our privatized nuclear family, it's not the only way. And it's not the way it's always been. And here, I think, is the crucial thing for, for Christian people. The way our families are set up and the way in which we live isn't the biblical way. When that finally dawned on me, it was quite a revelation. I think normally when I read the Bible and it says anything about home or family, I'm thinking, yeah, that's, that's talking about our home the way in which Claire and I are together with our families. But it's not really. It's talking about a, a broader definition of family life than what we are used to. So our homes aren't the biblical family. We're never, you can search the Old and New Testament till you're blue in the face and you'll not find any family that looks remotely like what, what your family and mine are like. So we're never going to find the Bible validating the way in which we, we live with our families. Instead, God's word will do what it always does for us. It teaches us who God is, what's important to him, and, and how in general terms he would have us live. And then it's left up to us to work that out in our own contexts. Now, I want to come back to that division that I talked about there a moment ago between the, the, the public world out there and the private world in our homes. Last year, we, we did a series where we weren't thinking so much about family as about our workplaces. And we noticed a, a, another division 
we talked about the sacred secular divide and our habit of splitting the world into two. The, the sacred part, the, the sort of churchy spiritual part, and we imagine God's interested in it. But then a secular part, like our, our workplaces and our, our leisure time, and we imagine that God doesn't care about it. Well, last year we, we tried to flatten the wall between these two and to say there is no sacred secular divide. Well, this morning we're going to do something along the same lines, but with a different divide, with the, the public-private divide. We want to, to look at that wall that runs between the two, and we want to flatten it. And we want to say there is no divide between who we are in public and who we are in private. Our homes are not to be some sort of retreat haven where we escape from public life. Probably the core biblical strand of teaching on this and the easiest way to find our way into this is to think of the biblical ministry of hospitality. God's people have always had open homes. When they've been faithful to their calling under God, they've always had, have, had homes with doors open to the world around them. The New Testament emphasizes hospitality to others, particularly within the church. Hospitality is just a wonderful thing. That sharing together of food or drink or, or just of time and energy, we, we celebrate as we do that all the, the ways in which God has been good to us as we bless one another. I want to think with you for a moment now about those two passages we read. We saw there the biblical commitment to the open home and to hospitality. The writer to the Hebrews, what did he say? He said, don't forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Don't forget to entertain. It's a biblical command to have our homes open. And of course, in that case, the, the writer to the Hebrews, he's referring to that, that wonderful time when Abram opened his home to two men whom he didn't know, only to discover that he'd had, had God himself come and be present with him. So the, the writer to the Hebrews here is simply pointing the people of his day back to the very beginning of God's people and saying, right from day one, we have been a hospitable people. This is what it means to be the people of God. And then we read from the passage in Kings of the widow of Zarephath, and she showed hospitality to Elijah. She opened her home, she took him in, and she's a wonderful reminder to us that hospitality has nothing at all to do with being wealthy and making it a grand affair by which we impress one another. This woman had nothing, pretty much nothing. And yet that nothing that she had, she was willing to share uh, with Elijah and to be a blessing to him. The Bible is full of examples uh, of hospitality and full of commands that we practice hospitality. We, we noticed this when we were electing new elders here in the church a while ago. One of the, the key criteria for leadership in the church is that a person is hospitable. If you're not hospitable, 
you don't qualify for leading in the church. That's the biblical teaching. One of the instances uh, of hospitality that's most prominent in my life these days it isn't just in the Bible. The Bible's full, as I say, of wonderful examples. But our church life here, this community of which we're part of, it's just a place where, where I see example after example of wonderful hospitality. I tried to count up experiences of hospitality that I've had recently. I, I, I just started from today and worked back, and I, I came across four examples of hospitality in, in the last eight days um, through the life of our church together. Last Saturday, Claire and I joined with a couple in our congregation for dinner and for the warmest and deepest conversation. It was lovely. We ended up really encouraging each other how we can live faithfully for God. We thought particularly about how we can be, be good to our, our aging parents. That was a topic that we, we spent a lot of time talking about. On Monday, we had a brilliant day together, some of us at a barbecue, when, when one family in the church opened their home so that those of us who had uh, run in the marathon could enjoy each other's company. And that was brilliant too, because we'd, with people from all different stages of family life, uh, some people who were single, some people who were married, some people who were married with kids. And you know, on that day, it just didn't matter because we're a family in a different way where all those distinctives are, are very much secondary. I got an email from Yanita during the week, and I hope she doesn't mind me picking up a sentence out of it. She said, thanks for the great time on Monday. It was wonderful and very special to have such a nice and relaxed time together. I realized everyone being so relaxed wouldn't happen in many occasions in Finland, certainly not without alcohol. I think that's, that's one of the things. We'd, we'd echo that here in Ulster. Uh, the church is, is kind of unique becomes one of these very rare places where people can enjoy wonderful, warm friendship and fellowship. And of course, I've already mentioned yesterday, the day that we had at the zoo, on Friday evening, Claire and I enjoyed the, the company of some friends whom Claire had met at the mothers and toddlers here in church. I, I just say all that to say that that this, this is happening. This life of hospitality is one that, that's being practiced often and well here in our church community. But I, I want to, to present it to us one last time because of the, the important role that I think this way of living would have in our family life. I want to mention very quickly a couple of other things other than hospitality that we can be thinking of in, in our homes Just last week, what about people who live close together, who are already in a community together, looking for ways in which they can serve together? Just last week, I heard of one of our discipleship groups. Because they had become aware of an aging couple in our community who, who are both very frail at the moment, unable to cook, who had been going out to, to chippies for their tea because they, they had no other way 
of getting meals together. Because they became aware of that, they established a rota that they would go and, and bring a meal to that household uh, probably for, the, for a, a week or two at least while it's needed. Wasn't that a wonderful way to use their homes and their cookers uh, for the glory of God and to build community? What about the location of your home? I'm thinking of that as a kingdom of this, a kingdom decision. I can think of at least three, and I'm sure there are more, people in our congregation who have told me of a, a conscious decision that they have made when they moved house to come and live near the church so that they could be more part of this church community and could help us to reach this area for Jesus Christ. Not everybody has that that flexibility and the opportunity, but but if you do, and, and if that's a possibility, what, what a wonderful way to think about our homes. Maybe you know somebody who's going through a terrible time and their own home life has fallen apart. What about welcoming them in to come and live with you for a while if, if that's the appropriate thing? Claire and I once welcomed a friend into our home when his marriage failed and he stayed with us for three months while he came to, to terms with the very first shocks of what had happened to him and, and while he slowly began to rebuild his own life. At times when things were difficult for him, he, he knew that there was a family, another family that he could count on and rely on. Friends, I want to, to bring our, our thoughts to a close this morning. And I want to think for, for one last moment with you about the place of hospitality in the community of God and in our families. For disciples of Jesus Christ, our homes cannot be castles. They cannot be private places where we retreat to to lock out the world that's around us. They must instead be mission bases. Places where we find strength together in our family to go out and serve Christ for his glory. Don't misunderstand me here. The strength and the happiness of our families is crucial. I believe that entirely. But the strength and, our, the, the strength and happiness of our families, I think, is a byproduct of lives lived for the glory of God. It's when families recognize that the best way to be a strong and a happy family is no longer to look in on ourselves, to build lives only around ourselves, to become a, a self-contained we community. It's when we turn around and when we look out that all the blessings of what God has called us to finally become a reality in our lives. So that's ultimately the great thing about hospitality and an open home. It gives us and our families a purpose beyond ourselves. Now, I think, as we've said probably a number of times in this series, I think all of this is entirely countercultural. Family life, as I said earlier this morning, it used to be very, very broad. 
in, in terms of its purposes and its range. Your family were your community, but they were also your business partners, your work colleagues. But we have whittled down what, what family is. We have only one purpose left at the heart of our families, and that's a, a private world of intimacy. The only purpose left for the modern family is to be private among ourselves, intimate with our, our biological family members. Now, I think that has some real strengths. We want to nurture our biological families as much as we can. But as I look around me and I look at the marriages and families that are failing, I think they're failing not because they've had too little focus on themselves. I suspect that in many cases, they fail because they have no or little focus outside of themselves. Our families have become our gods. We come into church and into other Christian community looking to see what church and Christian community can do for us and our family. But friends, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. We've been called to place everything at his disposal. We've been called to live every part of our lives for his glory. And my plea to each one of you, because because I'm going to be your pastor for the foreseeable future, because I'm going to be the person who works with you and your families, my plea to you is to find something outside of your biological family worthy of giving your all to. Because it's the only healthy and right way to live. Friends, that thing is the kingdom of God. It's following Jesus Christ. Let me finish by reading for you a, a paragraph from a, a book that I found very helpful throughout this whole series and particularly in bringing these, these thoughts to, to a conclusion. Rodney Clapp uh, has written a book called Family at the Crossroads, which I found very, very helpful in this regard. And basically, in this wee paragraph I'm going to read, he, he challenges us to, to take our, our views of family and to just open them up entirely, to make them something much, much bigger than maybe we've ever imagined them to be. Listen to this. The long and the short of it is that we simply need a world bigger, richer, and tougher than that which can be created by a little family fixated on itself and its emotional coddling. We need a large cause, exciting enough that many people, not just one spouse and two or three children, can devote their lives to it. We need to be part of a community where the commitment of other people to the same cause convinces us that the work to which we have given our life is truly worth our life. 
It's the various ministries and joys of many families that show us how rich and varied the goods and gifts of the kingdom are. One family sponsors a refugee, another adopts a multiracial child, the third staffs a soup kitchen on Thanksgiving Day. Such an array of hospitality proves that the kingdom is expansive and bountiful indeed. And that one or even a hundred families cannot exhaust its potential. This life of hospitality deserves my life. It deserves the life of my family. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts, each one of us, for the family that you have given to us. Lord, we have very different experiences of that, but we see your, your hand in our family life. We thank you for the blessings you've given us in, your, in our families. Father God, we thank you also for what you've been teaching us these last weeks in your word. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to live this glorious calling that you've placed on us. Lord, help us to take our families, that, that very thing that we hold dearest of all, and to place it before you as a sacrifice of love. Lord, help us to say to ourselves and to each other that we will make our lives, our family lives available to you. We'll place our families at your disposal. Lord, we'll open our homes. Lord, help us to, to make these commitments, knowing that when we do, our family life will not be the poorer for it, but that we will know the full riches and the full joy and the full drama of life in the kingdom that you have called us to. Lord, we come. And in our own faltering way, we open our homes and our families to you. Asking that you would come by your spirit and indwell us for your glory. Amen.